Sometimes the joy of football is its unpredictability, the fact that a team can come from nowhere and upset the established order. Leicester City did just that as they won the Premier League in one of the greatest sporting achievements the world has ever seen. After that, Brendan Rodgers came in to lead the Flying Foxes to back-to-back top five finishes and he masterminded an FA Cup triumph. But fairy tales have an ending and Rodgers has left the king power with the club fighting for its Premier League life. Can Dean Smith start another story? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Leicester defied the odds. We have tipsters who do that too on this show, starting with the wonderful Mark O'Hare. Mark Dean Smith has been given uh, just a few games to save his new club from the drop. It's not exactly an easy start at Manchester City on Saturday evening. (laughs) No, they don't come much tougher, do they, than (laughs) a trip to the Etihad? Yeah, I mean, City do look like they're coming into their prime now. Uh, We know Pep and his coaching staff do a lot of conditioning work behind the scenes to try and gear their players up to be at their their best and their peak condition for the run-in. And it looks that way, really, um, judging by the last couple of weeks, because we talked about them not being their their kind of all-conquering selves for much of the the middle part of the campaign, but they seem to have kind of flicked that switch in the last couple of weeks. Uh, The Arsenal performance was very good. The Leipzig destruction was was ruthless. Then you got the Liverpool game, which was excellent. And then Tuesday night, they were really, really impressive as well. Once they got in a handle on Bayern in that match too. And I thought the match was in the balance for the first hour or so. Um, A really top-class contest. Rodri's effort, obviously the difference. And then Makana makes that error, tilts things in City's favour. And then they just uh, move on and, and they looked every inch the, the Champions League outright favourites there in the last half hour or so. Uh, they mean business. And I think with Arsenal dropping points now in the Premier League as well, just gives them even extra kind of uh, motivation, if you like, for the final final run in. Um, should they win their game in hand, turn Arsenal over at the Etihad, they'll be top of the table. Um, so it's all in their hands now. Um, and yeah, I expect them to remain on track against Leicester at the weekend, um, even though it's in between those two legs against Bayern. Still fancy City to, to put up a, a pretty cushy win, actually. Um, they tend to do so when they welcome the sort of bottom half dross, and it's 13 wins from 15 unbeaten games against the bottom half, 10 of those by at least two goals. Uh, the Asian handicap here is set to two goals, which I think is probably fair. City has scored three goals and more 10 times in 14 home fixtures already in the Premier League so far this season. I've done so against Leipzig and Bayern Munich as well. So absolutely no reason to believe they won't do similar against Leicester, who just been abysmal, haven't they? Um, Eight winless games, seven defeats, 19 defeats overall, which is the joint worst tally. And since the World Cup, it's 11 losses and 14. They failed to score in half of those matches as well. We normally associate Leicester with uh, having that sort of uh, ability in the final third to trouble any team. It's not been the case since the World Cup and they've kept zero clean sheets as well. So, you know, away from home, they've leaked four at Arsenal, three at United, six at Spurs, five at Brighton, two at Villa, two at Liverpool, two at Chelsea. So... You expect City to score two at least here, possibly three or more. So look, I think removing Rodgers was the right thing to do. But I put the boot into Chelsea for the timing of their decision to get rid of uh, Graham Potter. And I think the same can be said for Leicester as well. Um, clearly, absolutely no succession plan in place there. And I think the decision to sort of wield the axe after the international rate was kind of bizarre in itself. I know the performance at Palace was 
unforgivable really to concede 30 shots against the Roy Hodgson team is just not good um, but it wasn't much improved last weekend against Bournemouth either and I think to go from Rogers to Dean Smith um, and they were talking to Jesse Marsh as well well they tried Potter they went Graham do you want it no, no okay Jesse should we talk about oh okay Dean Smith maybe it's it's bizarre I just don't get it we said it last week but these clubs are worth millions and millions of pounds and they're just not joining up the dots. I don't know who's calling the shots. I don't know who's approving of these decisions. And they just look like a sitting duck this weekend and um, they've only got themselves to blame, really. So um, if I was getting involved in here, I think there's a, a way to get City on side in the bet builder. Um, doesn't require a huge amount, really, if you do expect City to, to win comfortably here. As I say, the agent handicap here is set at two. Um, but you can back Man City minus one. You can back Man City to win the most corners and you can back Man City to win over 4.5 corners. And it comes in at 1.8 on the bet builder. If you want something bigger, just back City to be leading at half time as well. It boosts it to five to four. But I think City score a minimum of two goals here. It should hit three, which brings in that handicap play. They've won the corner count in 86% of the Premier League games. They average 7.36 corners at home and they've won five corners or more in all bar one match at the Etihad this season. So if they win five corners or more, they definitely win, win the corner count. And it's just a case of City winning the match by two goals or more, which I think is well within their range. Our resident maths genius and master of the sustainable edge, Mark Stinchcombe, is here again. Stinch, I'm going to enjoy the answer to this, I think. Dean Smith did well at Villa for the most part, but struggled at Norwich. Are you surprised Leicester turned to him? And do you think he'll do well? I know the answer's no already, because you were, you were shaking your head while I was doing the intro. So... What do we think about Dean Smith? Jack Grealish did well for Dean Smith at Villa. I don't know if Dean Smith did well at Villa. Um, yeah, I, I find it a very, very bizarre appointment. I, I, th- you know, I think it's fair. I don't think it's too over the top to label that he failed at Villa and failed at, at Norwich. Did he fail at Villa, though? Over the Obviously, they've been taken on since, but did he do some of the groundwork and then well, that's been taken on since? I think I saw that 10 of of his 11 signings lined up in Villa's last game under Unai Emery and they won against Forrest and it's only Forrest, but it's obviously a very similar lineup that he's been picking Emery. So I think Emery seemingly is getting a tune out of them. And uh, yeah, I think Dean Smith was very heavily reliant on, on Grealish. There was a period in the championship when Grealish was um, unavailable, I think, for for a few months. And um, Villa were favourites in, in 10 of the matches and they only actually won two of those games and that's in the championship. And remember his first season in, in the Premier League, they stayed up, was it the last day of the season when Grealish scored away at West Ham? So I think he's very, very heavily reliant there. Wasn't really surprised to see what what happened at, at Norwich, and maybe maybe he was um, saved a little bit because Norwich already looked bad before he came in. But then, yeah, uh, I think you look at the Championship this season, and outside of say Burnley, Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, and and Luton, perhaps there's not a lot of quality. I would say, um, you know, there's teams making late runs, late playoff push runs. Um, coming from absolutely nowhere that have been quite average all season. So, yeah, I think he ultimately, I think he has failed uh, where he's been. And yeah, surprise really to see Leicester go down that route. I think it's in their own hands after this game. They play Wolves, then Leeds, then Everton, then Fulham. They finished the, the season at home to West Ham. So it is all in their hands. They're currently 8-11 to 11 to go down. 
surprised to see Everton there at, at nine to five as the fourth faves to go down um, because Everton's fixtures after Fulham this weekend, Palace away, Newcastle home, Leicester away, Brighton away, City home, Wolves away before Bournemouth at home final day of the season. I think as neutrals uh, or anyone that uh, has got an investment in relegation is maybe hoping it does go to the final day with all three spots open because that would just be um, fantastic to to watch it unfold. Um, but maybe just very quickly on the this, these new managers, um, it seems like we're talking about one not every week but almost every game, uh, and we're yeah. in we're in April. Like it's a lot of it, panic, isn't there? Yeah, a lot of panic at the moment. And I think there's this archaic understanding of football by these people that maybe have more money than sense that sacking managers is a proactive thing to do. When actual fact, it, a lot of the time it's just ver- bad variance, basically. Like they talk about this new manager bounds and generally it's, a lot of the times it's luck evening itself out. Um, and still, you don't always see a team's true ability over over a 38-game season. I think maybe, for example, it's something we're seeing with Fulham right now, that they massively overachieved. And actually, what's happening of late isn't them being terrible. Um, it's just somewhere in between, and it's the, the luck evening itself out. So, yeah, I, I kind of the same as Mark. Very, very surprised to see the, the way these owners are handling these situations because, you know, there is this huge financial um, deficit if you obviously drop down into the, the lower leagues. And we've seen this season there isn't, um, you know, cannon fodder at the bottom that you can guarantee yourself three points. So... These games, these six-pointers, they're massive. And yeah, I think it's just fantastic to, to watch as a neutral. Trader and tipster beyond compare, Emmett O'Keefe back in squad. Emmett City looked ever so strong against Bayern in midweek, as Mark alluded to. If they win all of their remaining games, they win the Premier League. Could you see that happening? Um, Possibly, yeah. Like, I think we actually... We have a special up on site for... I think they're, we had the match 11-1 to 1 to win their... The last nine matches, it's kind of one of these things that's a hard one to price. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I, it feels like one of those inevitable city runs of years past where they're kind of playing their best football at, at kind of the right part of the season. Of their performance against Liverpool at home in particular was as good as I've seen them play all year. Um, possibly not a coincidence that Erling Haaland didn't play in that game. But I think it's it's the... I think we've seen kind of an... He's got an, 900 goals, Emmett. <laughs> yeah, no, but as in like the City don't have as many points this season. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't call it internet commenter on this, but uh, <laughs> I think I, I think it is there is kind of an interesting conversation to be had about whether he's actually taking other players' production or, added, or kind of adding to the actual team's value. But be that as it may, I think we've seen an uptick in kind of City's kind of pressing game and kind of game and game control in recent weeks. It, 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 even against Bayern, it was noticeable. Even the first half, kind of Bayern had it kind of a they had some kind of decent counterattacks, and it felt like a relatively close game before the the Rodri goal happened. But just in the second half, when they kind of smelled blood and when Pat Meccano was struggling, it was noticeable how they really upped their pressing game, and then they wouldn't let Bayern out of their own half, and they really killed them in the last kind of 20, 25 minutes. Again, so that was kind of reminiscent of the city of old. The only kind of weakness, I would say, just in terms of the Champions League, would just be the pace, that midfield, with um, Gundogan and De Bruyne in the same midfield. I think there is, say, if they play Real, Real the next round, 
I think I think Real will give them a, a fair few problems in the counter attack. It's not the most athletic midfield, and I think they they kind of there might be a little bit of kind of defensive vulnerability in in transitions. But that's picking nits ultimately. City look like a team that's kind of ready to win the treble this year and kind of in the peak of their form. Yeah, the only thing stopping me from kind of recommending them to kind of absolutely hammer Leicester this weekend is just that new manager variance. I know Mark is saying that it's kind of like if, if in most cases the manager won't, won't make that much difference. Most managers are kind of of a similar level, and there's this so there's some really elite ones, some really bad ones. But just just we can have a bit more variance. Just increases the possibility of variance, like. For example, what we saw Crystal Palace like this, like to me, that's like I, I would never have foreseen the uptick in their goal output and their performance with the change of manager, especially given in theory Roy Hodgson and Patrick Vieira are supposed to be quite similar. And I, I think probably Leicester actually possibly waited too long to sack Brendan Rodgers. They were on a downward spiral for a really long time. Like last season, they finished eighth when they were expected to finish kind of close to top top six, but they were more like kind of a bottom half team on XG last season. And then this year, like they're this year, they're actually they've only scored four goals in their last eight matches. Again, they're they've gone from a team that was like a really good attacking outfit, but flaky defensively, to a team that does nothing well. I think they probably actually waited a bit too long. So to, 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 to kind of to kind of uh, to, to sack Brendan Rodgers, whether Dean Smith will bring much improvement, I'm not sure. But I just I'd just be a little bit hesitant to kind of to kind of to back City to, to, to destroy Leicester, given the given potentially for more variance with the new manager and also just the fact that City might have one eye on that Bayern game as well. Who imagined that Roy Hodgson would turn into one of the great attacking coaches of our time uh, at Palace in the last couple of games? We're making uh, a few changes to our great daily offers here at Betfair. You now have to opt in to promotions to enjoy the rewards available on the Sportsbook and Exchange. You can opt in quickly and easily by clicking a promotional banner or going straight to the promotions page and clicking opt in. step-by-step guide on betting.betfair.com. Chelsea have also made a coach Coaching change recently. Frank Lampard has started his latest spell as Blues boss with defeats at Wolves and Real Madrid. No goals scored in either. But Stinch, he loves the club. He understands the club. He knows some of the players. He's nice to the tea lady or the tea man, whoever happens to be dispensing the tea at Stamford Bridge. So it'll all be fine, won't it? I read he also knows the stadium. I think that could yes, be, and uh... the training ground. He knows the training ground apparently, as if somebody who didn't know the training ground would either not be able to drive there, or would walk past it, or go to a supermarket instead. It's very strange. Don't, for- yeah. don't forget, don't forget James Corden. Oh, of course. The uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, yet another sporting director at Chelsea. Yeah, we we thought there were only two. Now it turns out there's three. Yeah, so I guess big game against, uh, what is it, the, the Graham Potter derby or the Wizard, the one derby, the one yes. derby, I think. They haven't got magic ones. Um, yeah, I mean, incredible, I think, again, that Brighton uh, nearly faves um, at Chelsea, both 17 to 10 for the match. But I say incredible, but based on everything we've seen in terms of uh, output and uh, how Brighton play football and how they create chances, then deservedly so, I would say. I don't want to back it, of course, because I think it's I think it's uh, gone past the point where you would want to get involved. Um, but obviously, we know Chelsea spent absolute fortunes, but it doesn't guarantee guarantee success on the pitch uh yeah frank lampard's chelsea i guess we should label them yes um, frank lampard's chelsea don't see them 
doing anything of note between now and the end of the season. I guess we expect them to exit the Champions League from this stage. They were so far below Real Madrid. Real Madrid played it like it was a friendly against Huesca's third team. It was unbelievable. Like how... I know Chelsea had that early break and Joao Felix had that early shot, but it was just like a playground bully just holding a kid by the head while they try and swing at them. It was it was unbelievable, the gap between them. bit unfair on Huesca's third team, I think. That's but, true. Uh... That's true. Lo siento. Yeah. <laughs> I would, uh, yeah, may, maybe be, be in agreement. Um, but in terms of a, a betting angle, um, again, it's going to be probably rinse and repeat, maybe a bit boring for regular listeners, but can't knock back over two and a half goals as the outsider in a, in a Brighton game. Uh, chalked up at 19 to 20 over 2.5 goals. Unders is, is four to five. Say it every week, 68 goals, 21 games, Brighton matches, 3.24 goals per game. XG very healthy above three, but the odds here suggest just 2.65 goals per game are expected. Overs in uh, 12 of Brighton's last 17. Uh, away from home, it's seven of eight under De Zerbi. Uh, obviously, we talked about Lampard now being in charge, um, but I don't feel that the previous Chelsea stats are, are too relevant. Um, and I don't think Lampard's fa- a fantastic coach defensively. I think that's probably where he's been found out and the reason why he's no longer in charge of of uh, of the previous of the, the reasons he's been sacked essentially the previous two times i think you know you can make you can make a career out of grinding out nil nils one nils etc but if you can't actually um get your defense in order then you're always on the you're always chasing matches essentially um but again as we talked about time and time again brighton themselves good enough to clear the clear the line um and it's just five clean sheets and 21 under deserby just one away from home i will caveat it with that have been under two and a half goals in 15 of chelsea's last 18 games but one of those games was brighton away when brighton won 4-1 so that's that's why i mean you have to sort of pick and choose your battles and i'm happy to side that brighton's uh, attacking uh, finesse and them giving you a chance at the back massively outweighs everything we know about Chelsea. And I also believe you can throw a lot of that out of the window as Chelsea, obviously, under new management. I really enjoyed Roberto Di Zerbi going up to Christian Stellini before the game had even kicked off against Spurs last weekend, jabbing his finger at him for ages and clearly having a go at him uh, after Stellini had kind of disparaged him slightly in the pre-mass pe- pre-match press conference and then obviously he then got sent off in the course of the game as did Stellini and then afterwards De Zerbi went no we we weren't chatting about anything before the game didn't happen you you haven't seen this conversation it was it was remarkable attempt at uh, Jedi trickery Aston Villa's managerial change has worked out well there you go it can work Unai Emery has led the club into the top six above Liverpool above Brighton Emmett they go to Newcastle on Saturday lunchtime I do think this is a fascinating game you've got a couple of really good coaches and really good teams absolutely yeah I think it's kind of it was long felt that Unai Emery that he like at this kind of level of kind of building a kind of medium-sized club to kind of punch above their weight is, is exactly is, 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 is his real strength or kind of watchers of Spanish football might remember that he did a really good job of kind of sustaining Valencia when they had serious kind of financial trouble back in the day. He did an excellent job with Villarreal punching above their weight. I think in it'll only be in kind of years to come when you realise 
what a job that was to get, to, to get Villarreal to the semi-finals, the Champions League, beating Bayern Munich. Like with their their level of talent was, I think, was a really really good achievement. And now he's kind of pushing Aston Villa to, to potentially towards Europe as well. So I think yeah, it's it's it's, it's really impressive what, what Emery's done so far. But I think that just the angle I liked in this game was 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 in in, in the, play, the player angle, and it's no surprise here, Alexander Isak. I think he's just looking at the stats here. He is point small sample size of nine league matches, admittedly, but he's averaging 0.88 goals per game, which for context would be better than Harry Kane and is better than all the kind of non-Erling Haaland players, basically. Yeah, you just plunk Haaland in his own category. You don't bother about him. Right, Erling, you go and do your thing. We'll deal with the rest. Absolutely, yeah. And and, and I think just one of these things as well, it's not just the it's not just the statistics. When you watch Isak, he looks every inch world-class player. And, and, and to be honest, I think that Newcastle paid around sixty million. That actually looks 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 really really good value. If you, if, if you could if you could if you compare what strikers are going and his age, and it, 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 if he can stay fit, I think Newcastle have an absolute gem. I think he's he's, he's currently priced up at two point six to score any time, which I, 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 I thought looks slightly big. I this is a player that next season when I'm pricing up Golden Boot will potentially be top five in the betting, given I think we, we can expect Newcastle to spend big and be kind of maybe 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 around fourth maybe fourth in the betting for the for the league title next season. Yeah, he's a remarkable player because he's a fighter as well. He looks like he's made of pipe cleaners. Like he looks ever so gangly and thin. And that but he he can scrap with centre backs as well. It's not just all the kind of graceful side of the game. He's a real worker as well. Very impressive player. Uh, Tottenham are still, I don't know how, uh still in the mix for the top four. We seem to slate them all the time. And yet there they are. They got an incredibly lucky win over Brighton last week. Stitch, they're up against Bournemouth. There doesn't seem to have been a big shift in performance or approach since Antonio Conte left. Yeah, I would say probably what we discussed last week, kind of no surprise really that existing coaching staff are still playing um, or making similar decisions to their their previous manager. Um, If they've been with them a long time or they hope to obviously follow them to the next job, I think it would be um, strange if they sort of started going going off their old lead. Um, That's why it's so unusual, isn't it, to put the number two in? It's just bizarre. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's teams can't get the the coach that they want and they wait until the summer um, it just feels like a sort of like a January transfer window it's like well there's not a manager transfer window you can get anybody when you want right um, so I don't know if there is it like if they want to go after a manager that's contracted and it's easier to get them in the summer because they have something written in their contracts or something like that um, I don't know it's it's sort of thing that we're not it's data that we're not privy to so we don't we don't really know and um, but it's definitely what we think we do know. It's definitely easy to sack managers. <laughs> that's yes, uh, that's for sure. That's been proven. Yeah. Um, but what I would say, there's not really been a change in uh, the odds in terms of um, Tottenham's games that they're going off at. So they're four to nine at home to Bournemouth this weekend. Over two and a half goals, four to six. Kind of in keeping, really, if you've got that uh, team at that price and um, and goal expectancy. Uh, the angle I was looking at here, because in my mind, it's it's another big, big game. You know, Tottenham fifth in the Premier League, chasing that top four. Bournemouth with another great win away at relegation rivals. Leicester last weekend, um, 
we praised Bournemouth a, a few times for not picking up results and they, they are picking up results now and I know they did invest in, in January but um, maybe some credit there to Gary O'Neill because they stuck with him while they were going through a, a poor run of form. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's a huge a huge game. Um, I came up, came up with quite a niche angle, um, but I think it's one that uh, looks really good um, in terms of price. So Spurs to collect over 1.5 cards at 10 to 11. Now, it immediately gets me interested because generally teams are chalked up at the card line of 2.5. So it immediately gets me interested. Similar when we have a goal expectancy of two, um, like last weekend in Juventus v Lazio, immediately gets me interested and means I'm trying to find a reason to back it um, based on the price. And you look at it, Spurs collected 64 cards in 30 games this season, so 2.13 per game. Um, but at home, they're they're very aggressive. They're, they're receiving the second most in uh, home games, 36 in their 15 home games. So that 2.13 increases to 2.4 per game. And if you look at them since the World Cup, when they have been uh, very inconsistent and lots of um, turmoil, I would say, in terms of their performances, 12 of their 15 games have seen this bet win. Um, and if you sort of blindly price it based on their overall average of 2.13 per game, you'd be looking at odds sort of closer to four to seven. So 10 to 11 for me, really, really nice. Uh, referee, uh, nothing really to be um, upset about. Uh, Andy Madley's the ref, uh, the ref, eighth most card per game this season with a healthy 3.74. He's ref Spurs twice. One game he gave them zero at home to Liverpool, uh, but in another game he gave them four against Man City. Um, I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, Liverpool of late, uh, their matches have been quite card heavy. Uh, I think some of their players have been a little bit angry, but uh, there was a long period of time where Liverpool matches were low card levels uh, as they sort of dominate possession and teams found it hard to get near them. So, yeah, very happy to to go with the go with Spurs here. Basically, I think the reason we're getting the price is essentially the market expects uh, an easy uh, Spurs win. Um, and that's the beauty that we know that there's a lot of... Um, uh, tangible facts that say that perhaps this won't be an easy Spurs win. This football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. Fulham on the slide after a promising first half of the season. They take on Everton this weekend. Emmett, this seems like a golden opportunity for Everton, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I think it's kind of a combination of factors here, which is kind of, I think, we've seen Fulham's really slide in form. The first being, I guess, they were kind of punching above their weight and expected goals in terms of like they were, even when they were kind of hitting the kind of heights of six or seven in the league, their underlying numbers and the prices they were going off in matches suggested they were more kind of a bottom half team. Haven't they got something like the worst XG against in the whole league or something like that, or one of the worst? It's one of the worst. It's kind of especially the kind of in more recent times, the last 10 games, their 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 numbers are really bad, especially they're kind of um, even more even more so their kind of attacking output than defensive output. And if you look at their style of play as well, they average the highest amount of crosses per game in the Premier League. And so that they're level with Liverpool and Man City, but obviously Liverpool and Man City would have more possession and more attacks. So you can see how how reliant Fulham are on crosses, and that kind of strategy is built around Alexander Mitrovic and having him there and having him as that focal point. He's one of the best kind of aerial strikers in the Premier League. 
And now with Mitrovic bands, the kind of the drop off from him to Carlos Vinicius is huge. Like it's one of the biggest, I think, drop off in terms of like players making a difference to their match price. Like I think him and players like Ivan Tony, where the kind of the the sub isn't nearly as good, and the and, and the team were so reliant on him. I think I think that's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing with, with kind of Fulham here, and. I think and with with Vinicius there, I think Fulham are probably kind of a, a kind of a relegation level team at the moment. I think and they're playing Everton. We think have taken a huge upturn since Sean Dice joined. In the ten matches he's been there, they've they've gotten twelve points, which doesn't actually sound particularly good. It sounds decent given given what they were. But in that those ten games, they played Arsenal twice, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Man United away, as well as Tottenham at home when they got a red card. And, and, and still managed to they were, had a red card for a long stretch of that game and, and, and still managed to get a point so I think they've and Dominic Calvert-Lewin ha, ha, hasn't played at all so given all that I think I think Dyche is absolutely maxing out a really limited squad and they might might have, have, have Calvert-Lewin back this weekend which I think I think would give them some bad leaded punch I isn't kind of that feel, every weekend I know I know, but I, I know just watch watch them United though like they were kind of relying on Ellis Sims, who's like not even probably a top level championship striker. It's kind of I, I, I think that like they're playing kind of Demary Gray as a false nine. I just given just given a really false nine. It really false nine exactly. <laughs> but given those options again, but that underlines how good a job Dyche is doing. I think they're that we're seeing Alex Alex Awobi really really step up. Abadou Nana Sean kind of like a player who's potentially I think to a desk. De- destined for better things and just given that I think like Everton with their cover loan comes back and are performing more like a lower mid-table team and even a few a few weeks ago I couldn't have imagined saying that Everton 2.15 at home to Fulham is actually decent value but I actually think it is I could see Everton shortening up here I think Everton uh, uh, playing this Fulham team minus Mitrovic are, are clearly the better team I think they're I think they're more than fair price to win the match In sport what's just as important as the goals the glory the roar of the crowd. Yes, it's the halftime break. Time for a breather, a reset to keep everything on track. In sports betting, Betfair's safer gambling tools help you do that too. Like timeouts, so you take that all important halftime break. Or deposit limits to help you keep count. Manage your play at safergambling.betfair.com. Simple ways to stay on top of your game with Betfair. 18 plus begambleaware.org. Let's head to the EFL. Mark, you have a bitter southern rivalry to dig into just the kind of game you love <laughs> yeah definitely uh, early start on saturday in league one exeter take on plymouth uh, plymouth involved in this tremendous promotion race uh, alongside ipswich and sheffield wednesday i think they've been absolutely exceptional to still be in the race I, I fully expected them to to drop off at some point but they sustained it throughout the most of the campaign still very reliant on their form at home park and that's why last weekend's loss to lincoln at home could be quite damaging uh, come the end of May, but uh, we'll wait and see on that. Um, but, uh, you know, what a fantastic game to try and bounce back from. A, a trip to your bitterest rivals, Exeter and St. James's Park. Um, Exeter in no man's land in mid-table. Um, but I think they can be very, very proud of themselves after sort of consolidating in their first season back at this level. Uh, they've been great for the most part. Uh, they lost their head coach, Matty Taylor, earlier in the campaign, and they've still con- consolidated pretty pretty impressively. You could say that, that their season is over, but um, I'm of the opinion that they'll be ready to stir themselves for one last hurrah before getting their flip-flops on and, and getting on the beach for the end of the season because, um, you know, what better way to kind of crown your campaign back in, in League One than sort of 
thwarting your biggest rivals and their promotion hopes. Um, as you say, this is a very, very heated derby, and when there's a lot riding on the game, things can really jump up a notch. And, and Exeter, I think, would absolutely love to spoil uh, Plymouth's promotion dream. So I'm going to back them with a quarter goal start at 1.9. Um, obviously, we get paid a half stakes win if the game ends in a draw, a full stakes win if Exeter beat Plymouth. Um, wasn't long ago now, just a fortnight ago, that Plymouth went to Wembley in the EFL Trophy Final and were absolutely battered by Bolton. Um, they went back and uh, suffered a, an early goal, but still managed to turn things around, get a victory away at Morecambe, who are scrabbling against uh, relegation. And then obviously they uh, lose that match at home to Lincoln. So um, they're looking a little bit fragile right now. And this is an Argyle side that's only won eight times from 20 away from home all season, uh, and only two of which were achieved against the top 15. So they've not been winning regularly at the best teams in the league away from home. Uh, compare it with Exeter, just the six home defeats all season. Surprisingly, three of those actually came against teams in 16th and below. So it shows that Exeter, when they're motivated, when they're focused, and when the big teams come to St. James's Park, are, are more than good enough to step up and compete. So I've got complete faith in them to, to get something out of this game. It's, uh, it's a bit of a sort of theory, um, consequential kind of game. Uh, to get involved in but um, I just think this is Exeter's last hurrah the last kind of big show before the end of the season uh, I think they'll be absolutely loving it if they can try and uh, get a result here and, and get Plymouth outside of the top two before the end of the campaign so yeah Exeter plus a quarter on the Asian handicap Never underestimate the pettiness of football. Uh, Millwall rattling along quite nicely in the championship they're up against Preston Stinch what's the angle here? I was going to say stuttering, to be honest. Um, struggling a little bit of late. A failed score in the last four, just two wins in eight. At home, just three wins in 11. Well, they I was amazed when I found out they were even in the promotion mix a few weeks ago. So maybe I got carried away by that. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, credit to them, credit to them. But as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I think the championship is uh, the, the level of quality outside of the, the top four is is quite low. Um teams capable of beating each other left right and center um but we're now and but we're also now at the stage of season where there's so much jeopardy on the line you do start to see a lot of strange results i mean we've seen huddersfield win at like four to one plus three times under neil warnock in in recent weeks you know a year ago they were congratulating him on his retirement and he's come out come back out of retirement and guys there's a man who these... never retires in his head <laughs> he's never retired um, but yeah, it's just the the huge volatility that you get in a sport where you've got 22 humans on the pitch. So it's just, it's just fantastic. Um, so yeah, Millwall playing Preston this weekend, 57th, so massive, massive game in the playoff race, level on points. Um, but I just I can't get on board with Millwall here at, uh, at odds on. You know, they're three to four uh, to win. Looks looks very short to me. Um, Preston in, in good form right now, just one defeat in eleven, and that was versus Middlesbrough. Um, they've won five of the last six. If you exclude the 4-0 defeat against Borough, uh, Borough, like, majestic. So, so good. Um, if they'd have started the season um, with Carrick, they might be in the top two now. Uh, but if they'd just taken the chances under Wilder, they could have been in the top two. So nothing to be too upset about. Um, but if you look at the other 10 games in that run, it's just five goals conceded. It is worth mentioning this this Preston runner games has been fairly soft, but they're still unbeaten against Luton, Coventry and Watford, and they're all battling for the playoffs as well. Um, so basically, I'm going to like lay Millwall here. So back in Preston, double chance at 10 to 11. 
Um, the goal expectancy is very, very low. Under two and a half goals is eight to 15. So the market is expecting a low scoring game. Um, so I don't know why Millwall is so short. A little bit similar to when we discussed Benfica Inter. You know, I mentioned that Unders was short in that game. And if you've got uh, a game with low goal expectancy, it should push out the other two teams. Um, so it feels like Preston have been pushed out, but not Millwall. Um, the odds basically su- suggest that Millwall are expected to score twice as many goals as Preston in this game. Well, if you know if we've got a goal expectancy of sort of like two point one, two point two, then you know it's it's going to take a very um, select um, situations for that to, to uh, unfold. So yeah, I just think they're too short. Keep an eye out on uh, Tom Cannon. Uh, to score for Preston, seven goals in his last nine, chalked up at seven to two. I think he might have scored more goals in that run of games than uh, the whole of Everton under Sean Dyche. Um, again, bizarre situation that Everton have found themselves loaning out all these attacking players. Um, and if you look at Millwall this season, when they've been odds on at home, they failed to beat Wigan, Reading and Huddersfield, and they're all in a relegation battle. So yeah, I can't have, I can't have Millwall at odds on here. Now, last week, getting Mark O'Hare to talk at length about his beloved QPR was one of the most heart-rending pieces of broadcasting I think we've done on the Betfair Network. So we're going to spare him that this week, and Emmett's going to do it instead. Yeah, I'll I'll stick the knife in so Mark doesn't have to. (laughs) It's it's kind of, yeah, like I said, Mark's kind of talked talked about it plenty enough, but obviously I think QPR are, are obviously in massive relegation trouble, losing nine out of their last 11 championship matches, and I just, I can't have them at their current price. Uh, at home to Coventry, Coventry are kind of a really solid kind of playoff contender. Only kind of, they're only only three points off the top six. And, or, 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 so should should have plenty of motivation here. And I think just if you're getting them a draw no bet on the exchange at around 185, that's more than fair. I think, listen, QPR could kind of turn up the form books and, and, and pull an upset, but their recent form and everything about them suggests that that, that won't be the case. And I, I, I made Coventry closer to kind of 2.25 here in the match prices, so more than happy to take them, take them with, take them draw no better. So I would be very surprised to see QPR win here, given their recent form. Great week for Milan. They edged out Napoli in the Champions League in midweek. 1-0 this weekend. They go to Bologna as they chase a top four spot. But Mark, it's very difficult to know what Milan you're going to get because they've been trash in some of their Serie A games recently. And yet, in the league, they went to Napoli and won 4-0. And in the Champions League, they've just beaten Napoli again. Yeah, I'm going to say they're they're not very trustworthy, um, especially this weekend. Um I thought fair play though they got the win in midweek against Napoli, but they could easily have been two goals down inside the first five ten minutes. Um, Napoli really went for the the throat straight away. I don't know how they didn't score in the first minute of that match, let alone the first five or ten minutes. So I think seven shots in the first quarter out quarter of an hour. Milan had two shots on target. So Benacer's goal was the uh, the counter attack, a fantastic finish. But um, apart from that, they didn't offer a huge amount of threat outside of the counter. So yeah, Pioli seems to have Spalletti's number, but. Um, I think from a Milan perspective, they made major changes to their eleven last weekend against Empoli at San Siro as they had their eyes on the Champions League. Now, I'm not suggesting they do the same again on Saturday at Bologna, but they may well do. Which it's far too early to tell. Wouldn't we surprise don't... me at all. If they exactly. We, we assume they will make changes, um, but uh, we don't know. We don't got no sort of... Uh, uh, any sort of substance behind that bar just opinion really so obviously this match comes sandwiched between those two massive Champions League ties it's an awkward tie for Milan um, 
I think the schedule as well is quite tough. You know, host Napoli on Wednesday, travel to Bologna on Saturday, then uh, go to Napoli again on Tuesday. So a very quick turnaround between matches. And um, so, yeah, you've got to assume there will be rotation. And I think that does make them a little bit vulnerable because bar that 4-0 win against Napoli a fortnight ago, their domestic form, as you say, has been patchy. Uh, they're only winning five uh, Serie A matches was that game. Uh, away from San Siro, they failed to win nine of 15 all season. They've won one in eight away days at teams in 12th or above. They scored a maximum of just one goal in seven of those eight games as well. And they're playing a Bologna team who've started to show real form in recent weeks. Uh, a well-rested, well-prepared after a full um, midweek and confidently beat Atalanta in Bergamo last weekend, 2-0. Saw off Udinese 3-0 in their last home outing as well. They've kept four clean sheets in six and only two losses in 12. Seven wins in that streak as well, and that includes beating Inter at home 1-0 and a goalless draw here against Lazio too, who are second in the table too. So just three home defeats all season. Um, with Milan possibly distracted, uh, I think Bologna plus a quarter, 1.95 on the Asian handicap. Uh, that will do me. Well, now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble, a betting feature so revered that US President Joe Biden interrupted his state visit to Ireland to put on a cheeky acker for the Europa Conference League. How this works is each of the three guys comes up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action and lovely traders like Emmett here wrap them up for you in a boosted treble. Stinch, I will start with you. Uh, yeah, same bet again as last week. We were a little unlucky last week. I think we were sort of five minutes away from landing a seven to one treble. So yeah, over two and a half goals, Chelsea v Brighton. Just going to keep knocking on on the goals while it's chalked up as the underdog. Quite right too, Mark. Um, I will take over two and a half goals in Wolfsburg against Bayer Leverkusen on Sunday in the Bundesliga, which you'll hear all about on Sunday show, uh, which is where the cool kids hang out. All of the cool kids come to the Sunday show. Some of you who listen to the Saturday show are cool kids as well. But if you want to be really elite, Sunday is where you need to be. Emmett, take us home. Yeah, yeah similar to Mark. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, the, I, I, I'll give the reasoning on the Sunday pod, but it's both, both teams to score in uh, West Ham v Arsenal. Now, one of the cool things about listening to the Saturday show, admittedly, is the greatest feature, not just in betting podcasts, but probably in broadcasting in general, I would say. It is <laughs> Mark O'Hare's Scott Watch. Oh, aye. It's Scott Watch. The floor is yours, Mark. Okay, so we've uh, we flirted with a few other leagues in Scotland recently, haven't we? Uh, but delighted to report that we're going back to our first love, which is uh, yes. the very best league in the world, Scottish League Two, because we've got a, a mouth-watering prospect as Stenhouse Muir take on league leaders Sterling. Uh, very excited about this one. Stenny um, haven't featured for a while. They were the goal kings for Europe for, for the most part of the first half of the season. But a managerial change kind of put a bit of a halt to that. However, they're still leading the way for both teams to score winners uh, across UK and major European leagues. 78% of matches have seen BTTS um, and uh, that's 12 of 16 at home as well. They scored in 15 of 16 at home uh, and come into this clash just three points off third. So a playoff place is very much in the offing for them if they can continue to pick up good results. Just two defeats in 14. But it's just four clean sheets since July as well. So 
They're getting results, but they're conceding goals. Uh, they're playing a Sterling team who I think are going to be very difficult to keep quiet. Uh, they're top of all the major performance data metrics in this division. Nine points clear now at the top of the table. 16 games unbeaten. They've scored in all bar four league matches all season and lost just four times as well. So they've not been as solid away from home. Just seven wins from 15, but um, that's because their defence has been letting them down. Just two clean sheets and 15 on the road. 11 of those 15 matches featuring BTTS. So my selection here is a bet builder which features both teams to score and Sterling double chance, which comes in at quite an appealing 2.05. Uh, to key numbers, Stenny have scored in 15 of 16 at home. Sterling have kept two clean sheets away all season. Stenny just four clean sheets all season. And Sterling have scored in 27 of 31, but lost just four times as well. And these two teams have met three times already this season. And Sterling have scored at least three goals in all three of them as well. So, yeah, that's the selection. Uh, culture corner. Um, Stenhouse Muir are the only club to have competed in the Scottish Professional Leagues since the 20th century, but have never won a league title. So all of their promotions wow. have come by runners-up or via the playoffs. They've never actually won any league they've competed in since the 20th century, which is a hell of a feat, I think. Um, they're managed by former Everton and Scotland left-back Gary Naismith. One of their famous fans is Michael Palin, who has been to a few games, bought the club shirt, uh, couldn't find a real reason behind his love for Stenny, but uh, he is a Sheffield United fan first and foremost. But for some reason, seems to have a, a fond affiliation for Stenhouse Muir. Well, it sounds he's been all tandem. over the world. He chose Stenny as his second football <laughs> love. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I couldn't really get my head around it. Another head scratcher, actually, for a club that attracts an average of 300 fans per home game. They've got thriving supporters clubs. Not just in Denmark, but Norway as well. Uh, there's over 100 members in Norway. And they've even got a 5% share in the club ownership. That's how fanatical they are about Stenhouse Muir. Again, I've got no reason or no kind of idea as to how or why. But a uh, great little story. I, I presume it might be something to do with football manager or something like that back in the day. No idea. So if anyone knows, I'd be very interested to hear. Right. We're calling the uh, Norwegian supporters club of Stenhouse Muir. We want to know why this love affair began. Wonderful stuff, Mark. As always, stellar, stunning action between Stenny and Sterling. Uh, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Loads of excellent content on our website, betting.betfair.com, including coverage of the Grand National Festival at Aintree. And of course, for that, uh, we've got on our podcast network, Racing Only Better as well. Remember, all of the cool kids listen to the Sunday show as well as the Saturday show. You can't just be hanging around for Culture Corner in Scotland. You have to do the Sunday bit as well. From Emmett, from Stinch, from Mark and from me, it's goodbye for now.